Okay, this week's parasha, the last page, where it says, Breshit Mem, Mem Zion, Mem Chet. I don't know what that means. I don't always get the uh, sheets themselves, or a mystery. So let's just remind ourselves. This is the first aliyah, right? People go to shul, the men go to shul in the morning. We've heard this already three times, right? We had a mincha, then on Yom Sheni, Yom Sheni, Yom Chamishi. Right? We heard this parasha. So let's look what it says. Vayichi Yaakov Beretz Mitzrayim, Shrasvei Shana, Vayichi Yimei Yaakov Shnei Chayot Shnei Vashinim, Vayim Amat Shana. Okay, he had a life. And the life had a number. And that's not uncommon in the Torah. But the rest of the story is special. Vayikrivu Yimei Yisrael Amut, Vayikra Livno Liyosef, Vayomelo Navatzati Chein Beinecha, Simi Atachad Beinecha. So you see, that there was a kind of a tense relationship between father and son, which is not so uncommon in the history of the world. And, uh, and uh, he starts off talking to his son, look, you know, i got to ask you something. I-, I hope I found favor in your eyes, which I guess is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people, a lot of older fathers who think that when they talk to their sons, but I'm not sure they all say it. And then... Uh, uh, the continuation is Vayomelo So there's one story Yaakov doesn't want to be buried in the tribe Why doesn't he want to be buried in the tribe? It's a mystery Because we all know that even if Yaakov had been buried in the tribe As Yosef was buried in the tribe he would make his way to Eretz Yisrael nonetheless, just as Yosef was taken to Eretz Yisrael by Moshe Rabbeinu and the people who left Mitzrayim. So that, that uh, this question of why uh, Yaakov wanted Yosef to bury him in Mitzrayim cannot be a simply sentimental or that he missed his wife Leah in Marata Machpelah. I mean, there's got to be some profound answer which is not given in the Torah. The Torah doesn't tell us what it is that, uh, what the answer is. So, Pasuk Lamech. He repeats his request in different words. And Yosef says, Anochi esekid varecha. I will do it. That's what Yosef says. His father then goes on and says, uh, Okay, then there's part two, where first he asked, and then he asked for an oath, a concomitant oath, which is something that's happened in the Torah uh, earlier. We don't understand this. I mean, we, like in our world, I don't think we understand the place of the Shulah and why the Shulah would make it better, and why Yosef, who is... Uh, all-powerful, why his promise was not sufficient. But that's what, that's what Yaakov says. A further, uh, a further kind of problem that even Rashi deals with, why did Yaakov bow down? What does it mean for Yaakov to bow down to Yosef? He was his son, after was a father and a son. Yaakov was, uh, was probably the greater personality even though Yosef was very accomplished, but Yaakov was, uh, was uh, more crucial to uh, Jewish history, to the faith of Am Yisrael, etc., etc. Okay, that's a story. That's a story that tells us something about the relationship of Yaakov and Yosef, although that relationship is not clearly defined for us. There's a kind of a, a fear that Yaakov has in talking to Yosef, and he is uh, happy about the fact that Yosef agreed to uh, accede to his request. He's happy about that. And finally, finally, I would say that the, the issue remains a little bit unclear. On the one hand, it seems to us to be kind of reasonable that he should want to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. On the other hand, what the... Uh, uh, what exactly drove Yaakov to make a major issue out of it, that remains unclear, especially because we can assume that Yaakov would have been buried in Marata Mechpilah ultimately in any event. All right, that's, that's the first part of the story. The second part of the story is, New story. 
Yaakov, Yosef's father, Yaakov, is sick. And now, obviously, Yosef wants something. And what he wants has something to do with his sons. Ephraim and otherwise he wouldn't take them. And if he was just taking them to visit the elderly grandfather, then I imagine that the Torah would not have had to tell us about it. Alright, again, you know, parashanut, exegesis, a literary analysis, is, is kind of dependent on what you then assume, or what you assume is happening. If you think that the story is important, so then your understanding of the story has to reflect that importance. So if the Torah tells us that Yosef decided to take it by Menashe, there must have been a reason. Now we know that there was a reason, because we know the rest of the story. We know that something special happened. What we don't know is whether Yosef knew what was going to happen. In other words, Yosef wanted something. Uh, he thought something should happen. Something did happen. It's not clear whether Yosef knew exactly what was going to happen. So, he, so the Pasuk says this, Pasuk Bet. So again, here's this question about sitting and, 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 and uh, who, is, who is honoring whom, and that question comes up again in Chazal, it comes up again in, in, in the Rashi. This is Yaakov is telling Yosef the story of his life. And he starts with this important uh, moment, you know, when he was leaving Eretz Yisrael, he was Beluz, kind of a repeat of the original bracha that was given to Avram Avinu. Right? Avram Avinu, remember the bracha, uh, the Brit Bain, and ultimately the Brit Bain of the Tarim has these two parts to it, right? There's, there's Zera and there's Nachala. Those are the two parts, right? You'll, you'll become a great nation and you'll get Eretz Yisrael. That, that's the bracha that is repeated again and again with all of the Yavot in one form and another form, passed down from the father to the son, that kind of a bracha, and then as an independent bracha that a Kaddish Baruch Hu tells the Avot. And so Yaakov Avinu says, I remember that a Kaddish Baruch Hu, gave me personally this bracha, right, of Zerah and Nachala. That came, that came to me. Now this is like, like, where did this come from? And then we don't know what this is. It's like Yaakov, like Yaakov says, look, I want to give you a really big thing. And I see you brought the Friar Menashe with you, and I want you to know that a Friar Menashe are going to be like Ruvain and Shimon. And does this mean anything to anybody? So this has been a mystery. This has been a mystery, and, and, and generally it's assumed that this has something to do with the rights of the Bechor, of the firstborn. You know that in the Torah, the Torah says that the firstborn gets Pishnayim. And Pishnayim means that if somebody has three children, three sons, let's say, if you have three sons, so you divide your inheritance, the inheritance is divided into four parts. And the oldest son gets two parts, and each of the other sons gets one part. So here, this looks like that. But I just want to tell you, I mean, look at me, Yosef is after all getting Bechorah, because two sons of his are becoming sons of Yaakov. Like he's, he's becomes two for one. But if I had to figure out what it was that he actually got. You know, we talk about inheritance, we talk about something. Like if there's uh, three sons and they're four dollars, so the oldest son gets two dollars. Here, it's not clear what Yosef received. Because when Eretz Yisrael was divided up, at least that's the way the Gemara of Basra in the uh, 110 area, right? From 110 to 100 pages, 110, 115, the Gemara of Basra says, that each family received an amount of land according to the number of people in the family. That's how it was divided up. So it didn't really matter if Ephraim and Menashe were called Shvatim, 
or it would have been Yosef that was called the Shevet, they would have gotten exactly the same amount. It was, they didn't, there was no profit in this whole process. At least that's what the Ramban explains. The Ramban in Chumash Parashat Pinchas, the Ramban explains this conundrum. Like, what was it that he tries to explain? And he says, the Ramban says something that's hard to understand. He says, look, he says, forever, when they listed the Shvatim, right, when the list was made, any place in the Tanakh, but, or from that day on, Ephraim or Menashe, that's what Yosef got. That's what Yosef got. Now, to make that into a kind of tangible thing that we can understand is not easy, but that, again, is not our topic. We're soon going to get to our topic. And we're trying to just set the scene, like what's going on in the house of Yaakov. Yaakov is old, he's about to die. Ephraim and Asher show up. Uh, Yaakov says to Yosef, I want to give you something. I want to give you Ephraim and Menasheh. I'm taking them as my sons. That's what I'm giving. That's what I'm giving to my sons, right? But any other sons that you have, will be somehow absorbed under the rubric of Ephraim and Menashe. So that they will either be in this tribe or be in that tribe. But this is the great, this is the revolutionary moment. Okay? Uh, uh, and then we come to the Pasuk that interests me. The Pasuk which is surely a mystery. And then he says, this is like he goes back, first of all it's backwards. And secondly it's incomprehensible. The Ra Yaakov says to his son Yosef, Ani bevoim ipadan meita alai Rachel be'eretz kenaan vader. I came from Padan, I came from out there in Aram, in Aram land with Lavan, and as I came to Eretz Yisrael, meita alai Rachel. Who's Rachel? Rachel is Yosef's mother is Yosef's mother so he's answering the question Yaakov he says this is what happened it was on the way we hadn't even reached Ephrat Right, which I, I would imagine, even though I'm influenced by Chazal and I'm influenced by Rashi, that what he means is, I, you know how far away I was from, from Kiryat Arba? You know how far away I was from Hebron? I was so far away that I had not yet reached, I had not yet reached Ephrat. Because I was north of Ephrat. And I, I could not even get, I couldn't even get to Ephrat. And therefore, I buried her. So, so Yaakov Avinu is answering a question. More precisely, I would say, he's responding to a ta'ana. There's a ta'ana. Here's Yosef, and, and it's like, it's like, instead of Yosef attacking, and then fighting it out, and then Yaakov saying, okay, I'll give you something to make up for it. First he says, I'm going to give you something to make up for it. Then he says, look, this is what happened. I, I just couldn't do it. She died north of Ephrat. It was in, unimaginable that I could just carry the body from where she was all the way to Kiyadar, but So I married her there. I buried her there. I buried her there on the way to Ephrat. That's the answer. What's the question? The question is, why'd you do it? Why didn't you bury her in Kiradarva? With her, you know, where, where you are going to be buried. And Julie, that's what you're telling me now. I mean, Yosef, story number one. Story number one is, bury me in Eretz Israel. Where is it that he's going to be buried in Eretz Yisrael? In Maratha Machpelah. In Maratha Machpelah next to whom? Who's he going to be buried in Maratha Machpelah next to? Leah. In other words, what Yosef is being asked to participate in is not just the formal burial of 
his father, which certainly I imagine he would be happy to do, I mean, especially since he was the king of Egypt, in a manner of speaking, it was not something that was beyond his capacity. But Yaakov is asking Yosef to participate in the ongoing tragedy of Rachel, his mother. And Yosef and Yaakov both know that the story of, of Rachel, Imenu, is the story of the great tragedy. It's true that there was a tragedy in the life of Leah as well, but not like Rachel. Not a tragedy like Rachel. Imagine, Yaakov wanted to marry Rachel. He was tricked. He married Leah. He had to work another seven years. She didn't have any children while Leah had a lot of children and Bilah had children and Zilpah had children. Everybody had children and finally she was able to give birth to Yosef. And then on the way when they came back to Eretz Yisrael, when they came back to Eretz Yisrael, they had this story. Uh, we'll get back to that story, but they came to Eretz Yisrael and then she had another child and she died. I mean, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. So we could reformulate the question that Yosef asked. That's not written in the Torah, and which doesn't appear, to the best of my knowledge, in the Medrash. Doesn't appear in this formulation, but is kind of pushes its way out of the of the text of the Torah. The first part of the story is, bury me in parentheses next to my wife Leah. And then Yosef says, I'm supposed to do this? I'm supposed to, you know, participate in this tragedy with my mother, where finally at the end of her day, she's not even going to be able to be buried with her husband who purported to love her, who wanted to marry her, work the extra seven years on her, in her benefit. I mean, even that I'm not going to be able to do. And Yaakov says, he shall Ali. Because Yaakov knew that there was an issue. Yaakov knew that there was an issue. He Hishavali. <coughs> and then he goes on to explain. But the explanation is a little weak. He says to, to his son Yosef, I was far away. I was north of Ephrat. I was in Beit Lechem. To go from Beit Lechem to the Martin Mechpelah. This is not written in Chumash. For some reason I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it and that's the end, that's the end of the story except for the fact that except for the fact that uh, except for the fact that <coughs> he, he gave Yosef something. He gave them Ephraim and Asher, even though we don't know exactly what that means. When I say we don't know what that means, I mean I don't know what that means. Maybe you do know what it is, but I say we anyway. You know, it's like, uh, it's like, like, sounds better. What? Huh? No, not the word, the opposite. I mean we, we, I mean we, all of us. I don't mean the royal we. The royal we you use when you're by yourself. Okay, I, I don't know, I mean, something I'd like you to, uh, uh, let's look at, the, at this Ramban. The Ramban is on page two. The Ramban is on page two. I mean, I'm just not sure how many of these other sukim we're going to be able to to learn, but one of them is uh, very important. I'm not going to be able to skip that. <coughs> these are these are. It's very interesting. This is a very interesting topic. I find it interesting. Anyway. to remember how these sukim are arranged. Okay. There's a passage in the Torah. 
If you look at page two, the second pasuk says, the second paragraph, Reishit Perakavav Pasuk Dalit, Rebeiti Yitzarachaki Chofer Shomai Venatati Yitzarachat Kol Arzot Ha'el, Vizbarchu Bizarachat Kol Adoye Ha'aretz, a repetition of the bracha, Ekev Asher Ashama Avraham Mekoli, this is something said to Yitzchak, Vishmor, so you know that this is an interesting pasuk, that Avram Avinu, the claim about Avram Avinu is that he kept the Torah. He kept the mitzvot, he kept, kept the chukim, and he kept the Torah. <laughs> so Rashi says, you see the Rashi, Mishmarti, Rashi quoted Chazal, of course, Gzerot, Laharchaka, Lazarot, Shabbat Torah. So there's this interesting Chazal, which is tr- which tries to explain the word Mishmarti. Mishmeret is protective, is something that protects. So in the Halakha, that's called by various names, like Agzera uh, and Azhara, Harchaka. All of those things are protectors. So Rashi says, for example, Shniyot l'arayot, Ushvut l'shabat. Shniyot l'arayot means that the Torah says, A, B, C, D, and uh, E, R, arayot. That kind of relationship is unacceptable. Hazal came along and said, well, maybe you should take it a step away, like add on to the Torah prohibition, a further prohibition. I call a drabanah. Or Shvut B'Shabbat. Shvut B'Shabbat means, Shvut, the word Shvut refers to any Isur de Rabbanah on Shabbat. So the claim is that Avram Avinu not only kept the Torah, but he kept all of the things that are Asur, Asur mi de Rabbanah. Right? And then he explains also about, uh, about uh, Mitzvot and Chukim. He kept all of those things with Torah. Right? Rashi says the end of the Rashi. Which includes one simple good definition is that it's something that Moshe Rabbeinu taught B'nai Israel to do, but it doesn't connect obviously to a Pasuk. Right? It's just sort of hanging in the air. But it has the force of a Torah injunction. How did Avinu know about it? Well, the way I like to explain it is that, uh, after all, Torah is chachma, it's divine wisdom. And even though it often seems to us that things in the Torah are a little kind of strange, some of them, not all of them, but there are things in the Torah that are strange, right? They're called chukim, usually, that they're strange. Uh, nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, we assume that if we had the wisdom to understand what HaKadosh Baruch wants of us, they wouldn't be strange. They would be reasonable. So that's a Torah's made of things that are strange and things that are reasonable. Avram Avinu had a tremendous sensitivity to the, to the divine uh, uh, will. And so to him, things that seemed to us even to be strange were very reasonable. So he kept the Torah. He kept the Torah because he lived a reasonable life. I mean, some people live a reasonable life and, you know, eat vitamins and exercise and do things like that. And some people keep Shabbos and keep all the Shvutim, all the, all the Drabonans that have to do with Shabbos. I mean, that's what... So Avram Avinu was one of the latter. I'm not saying that he didn't exercise. Maybe he also exercised. But Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu had a sense of what HaKadosh Baruch wanted in the world. And he used that sense, and that's what Chazal is saying. I mean, Chazal knew that the Torah had not yet been given. It wasn't like we are the only ones who know that. Chazal knew that the Torah hadn't been given, that Moshe Rabbein had yet not explained the Torah to the people. And yet, they were willing, in a kind of naive way, to say that Avram Avinu kept Kola Torah Kula. And what they mean is, what they mean is that, that some people like, have to wait until somebody tells you what to do. And there are some people who are so sensitive to the to what's important and what's less important that even if no one tells them what to do, they figure it out. They do the right thing. That was Avra, that was Avra. Okay, so that's that's what the that's what the Pasik says in the Torah. Now let's see what the Ramban says. You see the Ramban is printed here? The Ramban is to my mind 
critical for understanding Rachel, Yaakov, Yosef, and maybe even Ephraim and Menashe. Maybe even Ephraim and Menashe. We'll see. So the Raman says this. Lashon Rashi B'Koli, that Abraham Avinu listened to God, Shinsetio Tel Mishvati, Gzeirot, Laharchaka, Kigol, etc., Mitzvot, Mitzvot, Chukotai, Chukotai, right? And I'm up to, uh, I'm up to line 10. I'm up to line 10. Basically, he repeats Rashi with a little bit of, a, of interpretation, right? A little bit of interpretation, then we're up to line 10. Vim Kenya Kolzeb Banui Al-Dahat, all this means that Avraham Avinu kept the Torah even before it had been given. The same thing is said about Yaakov and Yosef. That when Yaakov and Yosef parted, when he sent Yosef to go find his brothers, they were learning together the parsha of Egla Arufa. That's what Hazal says. I mean, they say that that's the drusher from the word Agalot. So again, you say, what if Hazal didn't know that the Torah hadn't been given? I mean, they must have known that. That's not, you know, there's a level of, of, uh, of uh, ignorance which cannot be attributed to Hazal, right? It's not possible. And yet they said it. They said it. What did they say? Well, how did he go? It went like this. What was Yaakov and Yosef? What, what could Yaakov and Yosef possibly have been doing? They must have been learning terror. So, does it matter what they were learning? It doesn't really matter what they were learning. But in the Pasuk, the word Adalot appears. So, maybe that's a kind of a remez to the notion of Egla Arufat. But it doesn't really matter what they were learning. They could have been learning Shabbos, they could have been learning Yadav, they could say, like, what did, what did Avram Avinu do in a certain case? And that's learning Torah. When Yaakov and Yosef were learning Torah, they were talking about Avram Avinu and what he did and how he acted and why he did it. That's called Talmud Torah. So you have, to, you have to distinguish. But what is clear from this Chazal is that they understood, they Chazal understood, you have this kind of weather next week, everybody should bring a little bo- a bottle of bourbon, and you do, if you take a little every 15 minutes, it's as good as central heating. <laughs> it's natural. Maybe it's better than central heating. So this is what it says. Right? Now we're up to uh, line 19. It came. Hechikim Yaakov Arba. He says, now we're interested in one of these three problems. How did Yaakov, if Yaakov was so frum, and he'd be brought up in a cheder, and he learned Torah with his father, how did Yaakov of Vidu marry two sisters? Everybody knows that it's also to marry two sisters, right? Everybody knows that. I mean simultaneously, of course. I mean, you're to be married to both of them at the same time. That's forbidden. So he says, he says, now, I, I'm not into the other examples, right, which you can uh, uh, look at. He said, but if you look at line 23, How could it be that the son is not going to follow the directives of the father? But it doesn't matter. In other words, this idea that there was integrity to Torah, and that Avraham Avinu knew the Torah, and the integrity of the Torah meant that Yitzchak accepted it, and then Yaakov accepted it. So how did Yaakov marry two sisters? That's his, that's his questions. Okay? Well, Yaakov Yaakov, it says in line 27, Right? Uh, that he, that he, there's a Tchum Shabbos, so he can walk up to this point, he can't work further than that. So Yaakov Avinu was really knowledgeable in the Shulchan Aruch. I mean, he knew the whole Shulchan Aruch. That Shashi Ezeb Shabbat, and Neshi Shkulak, and Neshi Kolaturakula, maybe that's why Chazal said it, that he would keep Shabbos, because we know the Gemara says that keeping Shabbos is like keeping Kolaturakula. Okay? So now, if we go to uh, line 45, we understand the question. I mean, here's the rabbi, I think the rabbi was naive. 
I mean, I, you know, the Ramban was certainly a man of the world, lived here, lived there, made it from here to there, and saw the miserable situation in Yerushalayim, went to Hebron, rebuilt the shul, which eventually was called the Beit Knesset, the Ramban, in Yerushalayim. I mean, he's like, you know, he lived a life. He wasn't like, out of it. You know, as far as the Ramban is concerned, it's obvious that Avram and Yitzhak and Yaakov knew the Torah. Now we get a bad, we want to disagree with the Ramban on what, how much of the Torah they knew or what they had to know, but there's no doubt that marrying two sisters is awesome. So how did he marry two sisters? That's what the Ramban is ultimately going to talk to us about. So the Ramban doesn't say what I say. The Ramban said there's also a Ruach HaKodesh component. That it may be that Abraham Vino had a Nitiyah, that he had, a, he had this inclination to follow God, but God provided Abraham Vino with Ruach HaKodesh, which enabled him to get the Torah completely. And he kept the Torah even though it was not yet commanded that he keep the Torah. Now, this is part of the theory of the Rambam, which he expresses quite extensively, quite extensively in the Rambam and Vayikra at the end of Achremot where he tries to explain that there is an intrinsic relationship, intrinsic, between Torah Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. And by that I mean that the Rabban says that the only place that you could really do mitzvot is in Eretz Yisrael. And if you don't keep the mitzvot in Eretz Yisrael, if somehow you then then it becomes the land can't bear it. That's the only place in the world. But if the Jews are in Afghanistan and they don't keep the Torah, so then they are, they'll be judged as individuals or as a community. But the Afghanistan territory will not expel the Jewish people. It will not become impossible for them to live. But Eretz Yisrael, the punishment for denying the Torah is exile. It's the only place from which you are necessarily exiled. I don't mean that there is no other exile. There were exiles. But Eretz Yisrael, it's mandated, according to the, uh, in the Torah. And that was, that's how the Ramban understands it. So, it says, it says again, Anirei lai, Midat Rabbeinu Shulamad Avraham Avinu HaTorah Kula Baruch HaKodesh Vasakba Uvetamei Mitzvotea Vesodotea Right, we just explained that. Like someone who is not yet commanded, he just sees this wonderful Torah in the Rocha Kodesh. He's like it's a it's a, a, a special gift that he received, and he kept he kept the Torah. But he Avram Avinu, and then Yitzchak and Yaakov, right? They knew that keeping the Torah and Eretz Yisrael were intimately related. Which means that outside of Eretz Yisrael, there's really no point in keeping the Torah. And the Ramban himself quotes the Dremedrish in the Sifri that says, that they were commanded when they went into exile, it's like the Novi said to them, keep the, keep the mitzvahs. Like practice, so that when you come back to Eretz Yisrael, you know how to do it. So put on tefillin and take a little of an esrog and eat a matzah and pesach, even though these mitzvahs don't really exist because you're in Chutzlaretz and nothing exists in Chutzlaretz. But when you come back to Eretz Yisrael, you'll know how to do the mitzvot. They won't be foreign to you. So that in that way, all the mitzvot are that we do any mitzvah, even if we call them doraita. In Chutzlar, it's a kind of Durabana, right? They're all, they're all really Durabana, okay? So now the Ramban says, Shmirato ota hayav aretz bilvah, v'yakov v'chutzo la'aretz nasa ha'achayot. 
So what does that mean? That when Yaakov Avinu married Rachel, remember Rachel? When Yaakov Avinu married Rachel, did he do an Avera or did he not do an Avera? I mean, according to the Yaakov Avinu Ramban conception of what's happening, we have to say that he didn't do an Avera. Because who says you're not allowed to marry two sisters at the same time? The Torah says it. And the Torah, even though Yaakov Avinu was prepared to keep the Torah, but he would only keep the Torah as the Torah wished to be kept, which was in Eretz Yisrael. So when he married Rachel, it was, it was like a, a, a chancy thing, wasn't it? It wasn't his plan. His plan, Yaakov's plan, was to marry Rachel. But he was tricked into marrying Leah. So then Yaakov Avinu had, had to answer the question. Should I marry Rachel? I mean, I want to marry Rachel. What should I do? I mean, the only way I can do it is by marrying Rachel after I marry Leah. Otherwise, Laban will not let me, won't, I won't be able to get away with it. So what should I do? So his decision according to the Ramban to marry Rachel was, I'm a Chutlaret. I'm a Chutlaret. I can marry two sisters. Like everybody else can marry two sisters. So I also marry two sisters, the Ramban. We're talking about the Ramban, right? Only according to the Ramban. So now, comes the great crunch in the life, the great crunch in the life of Yaakov Avinu. And the answer to the question that he gave to Yosef, HaKadosh Bochu told, told Yaakov Avinu that the time had come to go back to Eretz Yisrael. So Yaakov Avinu, directed by a Baruch was going to turn himself, his life, into one great Aveyu. In other words, by going to Eretz Yisrael, that he created an untenable situation, as the Ramban goes on to say. And the Ramban says, the Ramban says, you should know, Rochel became pregnant with Binyamin before they came to Eretz Yisrael. And it's unlikely, unreasonable, unimaginable that Yaakov Avinu had relations with Rachel after they came into the territory of Eretz Yisrael. You understand the Ramban? The Ramban? So that in fact, in fact, Yaakov of Vino. So this untenable situation, this untenable situation, this creation of the Avera, of the marriage of Yaakov of Vino to Rochel, this creation of it was done by Yaakov of Vino under the direction of HaKadosh Baruch And so Rachel, the only way out, the only way to solve the problem was for Rachel to die. So you might say, if you don't know exactly what happened, and that's why Yaakov tells Yosef. What does Yaakov tell Yosef? HaKadosh Baruch Hu told me. Is that part of the Yaakov story? He told me to go. I mean, you have to understand, there was no other possibility except for Rachel to die. Right? There was no other possibility. And when she died, she could not die as the legitimate wife of Yaakov Avinu. And therefore she could not be buried in the Maratha Machpelah. And when I'm asking you, Yosef, to bury me in the Maratha Machpelah next to Leah, I understand that this is hard for you. But you have to understand as well, go to the Ramban, right? I'm telling you my story. I'm telling you the Ramban story. I want you to understand that there was no other possibility. Because in Eretz Yisrael it became a family that could not continue to exist. Couldn't continue to exist. Because Rachel, Rachel was not legitimately the wife of Yaakov Avin. That's the answer of the, of the Rambam. And therefore, since Rachel was not 
so to speak, legitimate or, or perfectly legitimate as the wife of Yaakov Avinu, he says that in order to, the, the, to, the, to change that, I mean, the only thing I can do, Yaakov Avinu says, is to take your children as my children. It was, your children is my children. That's, that's going to make the family a possibility, a tenable enterprise. That's what Yaakov Avinu says to, that's what Yaakov Avinu says to, to Yosef. Rashi quotes, Vani b'boi v'padana ra, meisalai rochel, Rashi quotes the Chazal, that explains the position of heaven. That Rachel, Rachel suffered from being in Chutzlaretz. In other words, her status rendered her incapable of coming to Eretz Yisrael, of living in Eretz Yisrael, of functioning in Eretz Yisrael, and nevertheless accepting the burden of returning to Eretz Yisrael. So she was the one who was deemed worthy of praying for her children when they exiled from Eretz Yisrael. She not only was buried on the road, but she was a tragedy of living in the diaspora. She herself was a tragedy. So which person could be chosen. What better person is there, or might there be, chosen to daven for her children as they're on their way to Chutzlarens, to turn to HaKadosh Baruch and say, you know, I represent the tragedy of living in the diaspora. And I pray that my children should be able to return as soon as, as possible. And you know, there's a passage here that's printed as well. Just have to find it. This passage from Ruth. You know this passage from Ruth? Here it is. Now, where's, where's Ruth? Where is it? Page three, next to it. Page three. Ah, yes. <coughs> so I just, uh, I brought a Megillus verse. Because I didn't, because uh, the Pesukim is so nice. You remember, the story of Ruth is about Ruth. Ruth's father-in-law was named Elimelech. B'shem Yishto Naomi. I'm reading in Perak Aleph Pasuk Bet. B'shem Shnei Banav Machlon Mechilion Efratim. So the story of Ruth begins in Efrat. Mi Beit Lechem Yehuda. Right? Efrat is a sub, is a, a community somehow connected to Beit Lechem in Yehuda. That's where it all, that's where it all starts from. Boaz was from the same place. Boaz was the same place. At the end of the story, when Boaz finally marries her and uh, takes the property somehow, there's something described some kind of way that Boaz assumed uh, uh, ownership and then took her as his wife. This is a kind of what we call a kinyan, a kinyan chalipin. You take one thing, you give it, you give somebody something, and that represents what you actually buy. Like if you want to buy a building, so it's hard to like pick it up. So you do something else. You do something. Today we usually write a contract, which is a little bit different. But in those days, they would do something which witnesses would be able to witness. And then the witnesses would say, we know that this sale was made. They would be the, uh, they would be the, those who witnesses did. 
they went through this little uh, process and then he goes on Boaz makes a little speech and he says I bought everything that originally belonged to Elimelech and whatever belonged to Machlon Chilion, right? The property was in Ephrat, Ephrata, near Beit Lechem. Vigam et Rut Eshet And I've also taken Rut as my wife, Leisha, Lakim Shema Meit Al Machlato, whether it's, this is called Yibum or it's not called Yibum, it's something that, uh, you know, has to, I mean, after all, Boaz was not Machlon's brother. But it, that's what it says. I mean, that's a, a separate discussion in the Megillah of Ruth. Lo yikarei sheva meit ba'im achav v'isham komo eidim atem ayom. Eidim atem ayom. So here they are. Right, this is Gula. It's a story of Gula. I mean, I mean, people say it's a story of Chesed, it's a story of this, a story of that, but it's a story of Gula. Here you have Ruth, who grew up outside of Eretz Yisrael, coming to Eretz Yisrael, and being welcomed in Beit Lechem, Ephrat, Beit Lechem, Yehuda. That's the place. And then the Pasuk says this, They all screamed out together, So what do they say to Boaz? They don't say, oh, look, you made a good deal. You got a good deal on the land. You got a good deal on the property. You got a good deal on the inheritance. You know, it's great. All you did was you're just nice to everybody. You're nice to Nomi and you're nice to Ruth. And you made all this money and you got all this problem. No, they don't say that. He says, The posseg is on the sheet. The posseg is on the Right? Who's Rachel? She's the one who came and could not stay in Eretz Yisrael. And Leah is the one who came and could stay in Eretz Yisrael. And together, Asher Banush Tehemet Beit Yisrael Basuchayel Befrata Ukrashem Bebeit Lechem. And Rashi says, is the, is the Rashi here? No. But Rashi says what Rashi says whenever Rachel and Leah are mentioned together. Rashi says, Avopi, Shayumi Shevet Yehuda, Uminei Leah. Even though, where were they? In Ephrata, near Beit Lechem, in Yehuda. And Yehuda was the son of Rachel and Leah. Leah, right? Ruben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, right? Yehuda was her. Uh, was the extra son that she said she had Ode et Hashem right she thanked God because she knew that four wives twelve sons each one should have three she had four so she said he says Afalpi Shayu Meshavit Yehuda Uvibnei Levi it was the normal thing the normal bracha would have been you should be like Leah you say here you are in Yehuda in Ephraim in Medlechem you say I have a new wife what bracha should you give the wife should be like Leah, who was the mother of Am Yisrael. Not all of it, but a good part of Am Yisrael. Modim heim al Rachel shaita ikara shel bayit. They say, no. They remember Rachel. She was ikara shel bayit. She was the main personality. Because she established the reality of Eretz Yisrael according to the, according to the Ramban. She helped us to understand that in Eretz Yisrael, in Eretz Yisrael, Averot, transgressions are of national importance and impact. And that being in Eretz Yisrael changes entirely the relationship of the people to, Eret, to, to the Torah. So that the bracha that they gave to Ruth, the bracha they gave to Boaz when he married, when he announced his marriage to, to Ruth, he says, Yitain Hashem et Aisha ba'al beitecha ki Rachel Even though you might have thought 
that talking about Leah would have been sufficient. But everybody understands that Am Yisrael is made up of this duality of the Leah who has the, you know, who creates the family and, and it all works out for her. Even though it may not have seemed so obvious at the beginning. And Rachel, who represents the tragedy, but who teaches us that life in Eretz Yisrael is essentially different, as the Ramban tries to indicate to us. And so she had to die. And so Yaakov Avinu said to you, to uh, Yaakov said to Yosef, she's the Ikar. According to Rashi, at the end of verse, she Rachel is the Ikar. And her children are my children. And your children are my children. I mean, because the house of Yaakov, of Vinu, needs Rachel in that household. And the people of Yisrael need Rachel to make clear to them that there is a distinction between Eretz Yisrael and the diaspora that cannot be overcome ever. And that's what Rachel is doing, buried where she is. Formerly, she couldn't be buried with Yaakov Avinu according to the Rambam. But, on the other hand, her, her uh, contribution to the uh, world view of Am Yisrael is overwhelming. And that contribution is that you can never make the diaspora into the real. It can't be real. That's what the Ramban taught. And the Ramban felt this so strongly that he actually came to Eretz Yisrael. And that for him, the love of Eretz Yisrael didn't just mean that he signed on to loving Eretz Yisrael, but he simply was not able to bear living any place else. The thought that he wasn't keeping the Torah as well as he might was a thought that he could not, that he himself could not bear. And who did we learn that from? We learned it from Rachel. We learned from Rachel who died on the way back to Eretz Yisrael, and that's what Yaakov Avinu is trying to explain. Is trying to explain to Yosef at the beginning of the parish of Have a good Shabbos.